Do not adjust your AirPods. Do not check your iPhone. The music is the same, but the voice is different because after 132 episodes, that's 946 days and countless silky smooth intros and outros, we are without the captain of our ship, our Hall of Fame starting netminder, as Darren Millard is finally getting a well-earned week off back from the Olympics and with family in Canada. Welcome back, everyone, to In Goal Radio, the podcast presented by the Hockey Shop, source for sports and the Hockey Shop dot com in beautiful surrey british columbia the backups are in the game woody it's a little disorienting being here without darren the show won't be the same but we must push on i mean why not why not us this week woody why not um i guess this means you're officially the backup and that makes me the e-bug because it was pretty crystal clear who should be leading this conducting this orchestra in darren's absence driving this bus i am just along in the passenger seat actually i'm probably the unruly kids in the back of the bus never shutting up let's be honest but you are in charge we just didn't want to give you a chance to talk even more yeah there's already enough of me on every episode so uh i'm glad that we have you to fill in i was looking for i'm gonna be honest i was looking for radio voice hutch out of this at the beginning like when you give the you know, when we're doing the segments and you got to give like a phone number oh, and you go yeah. to that like sultry, like deep exotic voice. I was looking for. Should we start again? Yeah, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> no. <laughs> hey, we're the backups. Do you um do you have a favorite story of a backup goalie in the National Hockey League stepping in for a game, a series, whatever? You know what? That's a tough one because uh, my mind went to e-bugs uh, for sure. I've seen some firsthand here in Vancouver. Uh, and you know, some of the e-bug stories, you know, the one where, uh, they, the kid, they found the kid third stringer at UBC studying in the library and, you know, yeah, right. like, and then Johan Hedberg broke his wrist on a diving poke check, but wouldn't come out of the game. Cause he could see this kid on the bench that jumped to mind, obviously David, Ayer, but David Ayers jumped to mind. Thatcher Demko coming in for an injured Jacob Markstrom and getting the Canucks to game seven. But I gotta be honest, I gotta go back to Scott Darling as my favorite. And I'm probably missing a historical performance somewhere. Uh, Dwayne Rollison getting hurt early in the Stanley Cup finals that I covered for the Oilers, but it didn't end in a cup. So I'm going with Darling coming in for Corey Crawford in the first round against the Nashville Predators. I, I'm pretty confident in saying that the Chicago Blackhawks do not win that Stanley Cup if not for Darling's performance in that first round. It allowed Crawford to get his feet back under him. They go on and win the cup. Um, to me, that's one of my favorite backup sort of stories, just because amongst so many great candidates, that one ended with him raising a trophy that he directly contributed to. Yeah, well, and I said favorite stories, so you don't have to worry that there's a great historical one that you needed to come up with. I think that's an awesome, awesome story, that one. I don't know. I was thinking about it, and it's not even really a backup goaltender performance, but you know, my favorite growing up was Ken Dryden. And uh, so I just thought back to the year that he took off and went back to uh, law school. And he, it didn't take one or two guys. It took three guys to replace Dryden that year. Wayne Thomas, Bunny LaRock, of course, and Michel Plas uh, took three guys to, you know, carry the, the ball for Dryden as it, as it would be. And uh, I don't think it could even be one or two of us replacing Darren Millard. We're not going to be able to pull that off. So that one came to mind as we, we got a bit of a bullpen situation going here, aren't we? Uh, host by committee well, this week. Hold, hold like, um, but Aaron, like, yeah. speaking of records and great moments, that's got to be like, like, because I've had the odd week off here and there where I've been traveling. Yeah. You've had the odd week off where you've been traveling. Um, like, t- 
talk about Iron Man streaks for Millard? Like to to have done? Do you think he would have? Like I just calculated the days today. Do you think he would have stuck around for another couple of weeks if he knew he almost made a thousand days without missing an episode? Yeah, we wouldn't have wanted. 946 and, and all those ones recently from from tokyo from japan and then right when he got back i know four o'clock yeah, in the morning no it was a hell of a run for him we're gonna have to hit reset and and start another streak but i think like in the podcasting hall of fame there deserves to be a plaque for darren millard's uh iron man streak here at ingle radio 100 percent. i i sometimes i think maybe we are danny sabaron stepping in for luongo too and and i think you are right david Ayers is I think that's probably the most applicable one because neither one of us really belongs in the chair compared to Dryden. Uh, excuse me, compared to he is a, he is our Ken Dryden. Uh, he is our Ken Dryden. Yeah, so that's probably more applicable. You know, um, I wasn't here last week because I was up in Kelowna at the Net Three Sixty camp, and Friday afternoon, sitting in the dressing room with uh, all the goalies, the the camp is all wrapped up, and we're having a few slices of pizza and. James Reimer actually gave us the David Ayer story from his perspective. So that was kind of cool. Was it different? What, what, what's jumped out to you from how Reim saw it? Well, it, it was just, I don't know, like it, there was no extra information there, so to speak. Um, he just sort of told us that he came out of the game and he already showered off. And of course, once you've already showered off, that's sort of like, you know, your day is done at that point. And, uh, and then he said, he's watching and, like, do you remember the play where Mrazic got I hurt? Don't. No, I, I don't either because I was driving. I remember my phone lighting up as people were telling me that that uh, Ayers was going in. But I, I guess he must have really gone for it on the play because Rhymes is like, I'm watching him. I'm saying, is he going to do this? Is, oh, don't do this. Don't. Oh, he's done it. I don't know if there was a diving poke check, what it was. People are listening and they're going to think I'm crazy probably describing this because they've seen it. But but then he's just laughing, thinking, oh, here we go. Here we go. And they put in errors and the first few go in and, but they decided they're going to let this period go. Well, in between periods, they actually dressed him up. So they, they taped Rhyme's knee up and they put his gear back on him and let's see what happens. And he said, he, he just stood up and right away is like, this can't happen. <laughs> There's no way I'm going back in there. But, um, but you know, the, I don't know. The funny part was he just talked about how, the team just shut her down like no other team ever has um, in that situation. And we all know that he was watching it from the dressing room and he said, I, I'm pretty sure they only had one shot on goal after that. And I just, I just had to look it up. Of course, as he's talking, I'm like rhymes um, says here, they had eight shots on him after and we made eight saves. He's like, no, yeah, it was eight saves, but here's the better one rhymes. He got a shot on goal. <laughs> and to see the reaction from James Reimer, who, um, emphatically told us he's never had a shot on goal that was that was a whole lot of fun to be sitting there it was, it was a really cool well weekend. and uh some great content coming out of it already um i wasn't able to make the trip but thank goodness you were because oh my goodness a puck handling lesson from mike smith multiple part series we're going to roll out on the video part one is up at ingolmag.com for premium subscribers and i am excited to unveil the rest of this, frankly, because I wasn't there and didn't get, to, I'm excited to just see it. Yeah. You still, still don't know what's happened. I've only given you the first little segment to look at. Um, Hey, full credit to, um, to Ray Petkow and Adam Francilia, the guys at uh, alpha hockey who make the net 360 camp happen. Um, 
Ray's got sort of a, a small stable of clients he works with. It's it's not 100% goaltending, but these guys are the specialists in representing goaltenders. And uh, that whether that be professional or as family advisors to um, you know to amateur goaltenders, guys who want to keep their NCAA eligibility, and he's he's a uh, full disclosure uh, family advisor to to my son Maddie, and full credit uh, to Ray because he's the one who actually set up this puck handling clinic with Smitty. He he went and asked him, and he said, "Look, we got a couple of young guys here. We had Maddie, my son, um, and then we had Matthew Keeper from the Regina Pats, who's 17 years old. And he said these guys would probably just soak it up if he could spend half an hour with them just talking puck handling, and and he did, and he was engaging. Um, we've already put up that first little chit chat uh, session where he talks about um, you know things like having the the courage to play the puck and and what happens when you make a mistake and so on." Uh, but then he gets into a few skating drills and a little bit about how he shoots and, you know, everything that we would all love to see um, from really one of the best who's ever handled the puck. Yeah, and uh, I can't wait to uh, share that. We've also, you know, it's funny because I thought there was such a perfect tie-in. We put it in the first article just as, as a written-up format to the session that we published last week at uh, ingoalmag.com, again, for premium members from the Hockey Canada Clinic. And that was the one, of course, with the head coach, Andre Tournier. Um, Dustin Schwartz, the Oilers goaltending coach, Joe Johnson, who's worked with the women's national team, um, and Dan Stewart from St. Louis Blues, a development goalie coach for the St. Louis Blues. And part of that panel, and I really recommend, we first we recommended that everybody go watch that video just to hear Andre, who's now the head coach of the Arizona Coyotes, get to, get to hear him talk. Um, because he's got a son who's a goalie. He understands the position and hearing that head coach perspective, he was an assistant under Patrick Waugh on how to treat goalies was to me, like, honest to God, if I was a goalie parent, I would be running and sharing that with whatever the head coach is in my life. Um, As there I did. you go. And two minutes after yeah, I watched it. It was so good. Folks, don't miss that. Um, and then part two was we... The puck handling session where I asked the question like, hey, is, is there was a discussion on how to integrate goalies into systems and, and the role that puck handling played. I just threw it out to the panel like, hey, are we doing enough at youth hockey levels to encourage goalies to handle the puck? And Dan Stewart, uh, who we've known for a while and we absolutely love as a coach and we're so happy to see him get the Blues development job just right away. No hesitation. No, we're not. And it was a two-parter, his answer. You can read you can read the full thing at ingoldmag.com. You can watch the video. But in essence, to give away a, sl a sliver of it, one was minor coaches too afraid to either teach it or allow it to happen because they don't want to live with the mistakes. And I thought, again, there's something that Mike Smith hit on. If you're going to be aggressive and assertive, if you want a goalie that can help your team by handling the puck, there are going to be mistakes that are a part of it. And if you shut them down every time there is, you're going to lose that goalie that handles the puck. So... You know, especially at young ages where wins and losses shouldn't matter as much as I know they often do. Uh, we do not encourage puck handling goalies enough. And then the other part was goalies. You know, some blame or some responsibility goalies need to take because quite often all they want to do is the goalie specific drills. And Mike, again, talked about how in minor hockey, he had to go do the skating with the rest of the team in his full gear. And, you know, I've I've been guilty of this myself, watching it in NHL practices and going, well, like, come on, like, let let the goalie do something goalie specific. And Dan made a great point. Like a lot of the skating that sets up your puck handling is not crease movement. It's not quote unquote goalie skating. And a lot of goalies refuse to do it or think they shouldn't have to. 
And the reality is, is Mike, again, Mike Smith says, if you can't get out there and set it up and get back into your net, like that's a major part of the battle. So I'm looking forward to the whole series. I loved how it tied so naturally into the other video we put up this week. So new content at ingolmeg.com for all our listeners. Uh, a lot of synergies between it and a lot of exciting things to come in the coming few weeks. The other thing about the Mike Smith sessions, as you'll see when they, they come forward at ingolmag.com, is he had some specific uh, skating exercises that weren't just crease movement patterns that all our kids like to do all the time or coaches like to use, but some puck handling specific uh, movement drills that you could easily incorporate into your game. So it's something that uh, parents and goalies should watch because when when you're in that moment and we all know what happens where the head coach says, I got to do something with the team here. You goalies go down to the other end and do your goalie thing. How many times have people heard that before? Uh, here's a couple more things that you can incorporate into your game. So you're not just doing the same thing. And and as Smitty said in that session, he does these for 10 or 15 minutes before every single practice. There's a component in there that you can do with your partner as well. Uh, just, just great tools that we got out of that. And there was so much more that week, like um, new Vegas, um, goaltender Laurent Brassois was working with his goaltending coach uh, Mike Rosati and we uh, had them mic'd up a little bit and we had James Reimer mic'd up a little bit and uh, just just a fantastic week that there's going to be all sorts of little bits that we're going to pull out of over the next uh, you know weeks and months at Inglemag.com and hallelujah back in rinks and back on ice like we, met, we missed here, that here. camp last summer so this is more to come folks hopefully um, in the NHL season, uh, we don't have confirmation yet, but the hope obviously is that we'll be back in the room, um, back able to sort of communicate with guys more directly one-on-one -on -one about their equipment, about the drills we just watched and recorded them doing in the NHL practices. Major thanks to the goalie coaches who have helped us over the past year by sharing their material and reviewing the video we have of their sessions to help us get through this. But, you know, you could argue we aren't the brightest you know, sharpest knives in the drawer, uh, starting in goal mag premium membership. Uh, not that we could have known, but three months before a pandemic and before we lost access to all the ice that, and all the, all the behind the scenes stuff that we're trying to bring you. So we've been living off the archive footage for a little bit here. We got more of it and we still got more of it coming, but really exciting that you were able to be back on the ice hutch with these NHL guys, watching them do drills, asking them the why, why you do this, why this way. And, you know, it, it, I'm looking forward to seeing it all. I haven't seen it. Sometimes, though, it's been really fascinating to see how much of it is the basics. Hey, we, we go back to it with the Carey Price video. Um, you know, we, we all sometimes have a tendency. I think parents, too, have a tendency. Goalie parents, they want to see dynamic drills with 10 moving parts flying around and their goalie soaked and sweating. But every time we get a chance to work with NHL goaltenders, it's so often it's the basics and it's hammering the simple stuff and the foundation stuff. And um, anytime you can get guys to sort of share what their keys are, as simple as they seem, and just reinforce the importance of that foundation, uh, I think it's a win for us. And I think it's a win for young goalies and goalie parents that get to watch it. Yeah, even more so this year, Woody. Um, bit of a different year up there because... NHL camps are starting a bit later than usual. So we had guys at a different place uh, in terms of their own preparation. And we also had some different relationships, right? We already mentioned Rosati and Brassois. We had uh, Martin Jones getting reacquainted uh, with Kim Dillabaugh, who he used to work with in the LA system. And, and now Jones has moved over to Philly. And so we had relationships being built and rebuilt on the ice there. And, and as a result, they really were going back to basics. 
And uh, so there's a whole lot of that that we're going to be able to pull out and and just some of the chit chat about some of these really important things. But listen, Woody, um, I know I know that we're the backups in the game today. But if you're looking for a starting goaltender amongst the best goaltending stores in the world, there's only one place to look, isn't there? Do we have to really give Cam that 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 good a billing? I'm a little worried. No, 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 not Cam. The store. The store is the starter here. Like, if you're looking for the best okay. store. Cam's the guy that, okay. Cam, He's Cam is, buck. um, I, maybe Waterboy. Yeah, that that, that kind of worked Dunno. for me. I was a little worried about that. And, oh, hey, by the way, folks, we actually do have a feature interview today. We kind of forgot to tease that. Drew McIntyre, who recently retired from a long pro career, um, spent some time in the National Hockey League, is now going to be the new goalie coach for the Winnipeg Jets and their farm team in the American Hockey League. So for he's their AHL development goalie coach. Was an awesome interview. But before we get to that, we do have to get to Cam. I'm trying to I'm trying to pop that bubble a little bit. I love you, Cam, but we've had a little trouble with helmet size evidently recently in terms of him maybe needing bigger masks because we've we've puffed that ego up a little bit. And so just a couple notches down. Um but still the guy I would go to if I needed new gear. And as much as we have gone through all these different lines already this spring, the new lines from CCM, Bauer, there are still new pieces of equipment coming in. Part of that is things are just a little behind. The world is behind in terms of shipping. A uh, product that was supposed to be there earlier hasn't arrived yet. And I think we've got a great example of that now uh, with the Warrior chest protectors coming in this week, now arriving at the hockey shop and available. These are things that, you know, normally we'd be talking about new chesties a little earlier in the summer. This one was delayed. So we've known about it. I know Cam's been excited about it, um, but we've been a little behind delivering it because he was waiting to have the inventory. We don't want to get you all jacked up for the newest thing. And then he can't deliver it to you. Well, now he can. And while you're there checking out the new warrior chest protectors that we're about to get into make sure you check out what's left from the back to hockey sale like i said most of the door crashers are gone the, the two for one sticks and the 50 percent off are dwindling supply this far in but there are still some great savings to be had on last year's models accessories um, various things still heavily discounted to go along with new items like the new warrior chest protectors that cam's going to fill us in on right now Welcome back to the Hockey Shop Source for Sports down here in Goalie Utopia, where Cam is pretending to flex. And it's uh, just say if you saw what was underneath all that padding, there wouldn't be much actual flexing going on. But Warrior is flexing with a new, like that, like that segue? Warrior's flexing with a couple new options in the chest and arm category. I'm wearing one, Cam's wearing the other. Gonna be fully honest here, we haven't had a chance us at Ingold to test them out. Haven't done a lot of warrior testing over the years. <clears throat> Something about an unpaid bill. Um, but here at uh, the Hockey Shop Source for Sports, Cam's all over this, so he's going to walk us through what's new, what's, what's good. What's good with the warrior chest protector? So Cam, two different models. I'm in the RX3 Pro Plus. You're in the RX3 Pro. For starters, what's the big difference? Like, what, what am I getting more in the Pro Plus that you're not getting in the Pro? So I mean, they're it, completely redesigned for their pro chest. So something they've they've gone away from the mechanical arms a little bit more of a traditional cut and sew, but have still been able to offer that same level of protection that you had in those mechanical arms 
uh, for lack of a better term, that we saw in their, uh, their older previous series. So what's the difference between what I'm wearing and what you're wearing? Uh, it's about a size. The Pro is designed to be a little bit more trimmed down, um, a little bit narrower in the shoulder area in particular. Well, we should have probably put it on the skinny guy then as opposed to... Well, I know, I just, you know, I got to make it look as big as it possibly can still though, right? Okay. Uh, you, yeah. def you definitely fill it out. Oh, thank you. That's cute. With the arms, <laughs> you're going to find the actual arm floater itself. Again, a little bit narrower in comparison to that Pro Plus as well as the shoulder area. Um, the actual shoulder floaters themselves, as you can see, rounded and segmented on the Pro. Pro Plus, a little bit more puffed up and a little bit wider as well. Again, you're getting a little bit more of that coverage base, especially in the upper shoulder area. A little more squared off. Exactly. We're getting a little bit more of that box look, whereas here you're going to see the shoulders kind of taper down and around. A little bit more natural. Mobility is fantastic in these guys. I can still move around. It's a brand new unit just out of the plastic. Yeah, no problems at all with getting my arms up and getting it set forward. I do find these fit a little bit tighter against the body, but between you know the tuck versus untuck conversation, they can do both extremely well. The way warriors set up their chest is segmenting them, especially at the lower half of the body. So if you don't tuck in, it's gonna flare over top of your pants quite easily. If you do tuck in, you can move these extra pieces that are around in three segments uh, around the lower half of the body that is Velcro off. So you wouldn't need that extra length. I gotta say, chirped them about the bills and everything at the beginning, but it is a very comfortable feeling unit as soon as I put it on. And as Cam told you, this is pretty much right out of the box, folks. So um, a lot of mobility in the arms. Uh, and it feels like a fair bit, as much as you talked about it fitting a little snugger, feels like there's some extra layers of padding in there. Correct. So if you stand up and tilt to the side, you can see that wraparound that the actual chest provides itself. Great rib protection overall. Um, something that's definitely becoming a little bit more highlighted in today's game with, with guys going in that reverse VH and up on the side post, you get a lot of that rib exposure and Warrior definitely has you covered all along that side. We talked about the comparison between the two, but what's new from in this model from a previous generation of Warrior's chest protector? Arms are the biggest thing um, where you do see, again, a, a bit of a redesign um, from their mechanical models from uh, previous. They still got that flex system and almost that like um, hinge design where that arm still pivots at that same point, but they've still been able to create a bit of a gap between where the actual floater is itself and where your arm's gonna be in the chest. That's keeping you away from that impact zone, still allowing you to feel the puck in terms of where it is, but keeping you away from that really hard impact, so getting that supreme level protection. And it helps you absorb pucks. We did find that even in the mechanical unit. I gotta say, I feel like the elbows lock in nicely as well. Uh, there's a little extra protection underneath. Fingers up. Yes. A little extra protection on the bottom half of the arm if you're super goofy and hold it by your ear. <laughs> uh, Hypercomp does make its return in both of these units as well. For those that are new to it, hyper, hyper comp yeah. is? Warrior's carbon fiber material, again, providing that elite level of protection. Where would I find it in this unit? All over. Same thing over here. So it's like you're getting, again, that elitist level of protection. Like, I feel quite confident in this chest protector. Uh, personally, I'd go for the size. So I'd be looking at the Pro Plus uh, if it was me. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. Yeah, again, if you're looking for something a little bit narrower, you know, I wouldn't even say more flexible because I think they're just about the same, to be honest. But again, just link for a bit of a rounder presence, maybe a little less uh, bulky to you because of that, then maybe check out the Pro. Okay, if you got any more questions about Warrior's new chest protectors, Cam is really dialed in on the Warrior product. Make sure you give him a call here at the hockey shop. Any questions about fit, about sizing, about tucking, about untucking. Remember, it's not just how it looks on you and how it feels. It's about how it incorporates with the rest of your equipment. 
Those are questions that Cam understands. Where can they get you if they've got more of those? You can give us a call at 604-589-8299. And 1-800 for those that are out of the area? 1-800-567-7790. More than just a pretty face. He's, it's only what, we're almost two years in and he's actually memorized the 1-800 number. Cam, I'm impressed. Uh, I'm impressed with these new units and I appreciate you taking the time to walk us through them. You're welcome. Ah! Less impressed. Hey, Woody, you did it again. What? If you're not cheating, you're not trying. I heard you say it again this week. You love big chesties, don't you? Listen, I have a limited skill set. I'm aging rapidly. I'm actually starting to really sweat the fact that I've got both my Monday night skates, which is already way over my head, and beer league starting in just three weeks. And I have not been diligent. I've stayed in shape. I've ridden the Peloton. Remember when we had Jonas Enroth on talking about how much he loves to ride bikes, but when he talked about how he had to make sure he did exercises to sort of counteract those long rides because they would shorten the hip flexors. Dude, my exercise for the last 17 months has been a freaking Peloton bike. My, my hip flexors are as short as they can possibly be. I don't think they're going to react very well uh, to dropping into a butterfly. So if for all my lack of skill and all my age and all my physical inefficiencies, I need to add a little beef to the old chest protector, perhaps hit up Jeff Glass to find out exactly what model of yoga blocks they used to stuff inside of them in Russia. There you go. There you go. You know I'm going to do it. <laughs> it was an interesting product, though, this week, because normally when you're comparing, like in this case, the Pro and the Pro Plus, you're talking about materials and features. And, and the one thing Cam talked about was size and how it's worn. Yeah, I mean, and interesting, you know, I kind of think of it in terms of like two different lines the same way we think of maybe a CCM axis and a CCM E-flex, yeah. right? Like different fit, right. different feel. And I like that they've got some differentiation there, right? Like, so some guys want the size, some guys want the, you know, they want it a little more streamlined and a little more mobility out of the box, right? So I think it's good that they've kind of hit both preferences there. Um, you know, which way I'm leaning every time. And it's fascinating though, like... <laughs> You know, we can get into like the Vaughn discussion, right? Like there's still people that love Vaughn chest protectors. I haven't been playing the game forever. I started late, right? So in my mid thirties, but it always was peculiar to me that the people that for the longest time, like what I associated with it was, yes, absolutely. Mobility out of the box. It moved. It wasn't overly bulky, but that crew always accepted bruises. It never made any sense to me. I'm like, game's hard. You're mm -hmm. going to take shots that leave marks. That's going to leave a mark. Accepting it, I, I, that never made sense to me. And yet, there are some, I'm not saying that the, the Warrior smaller model is going to leave a mark, but there are just some that lean towards that side of it. They want to feel more pucks. I, I don't. I'm soft, buttery soft. I don't want to feel more pucks. I just want more of me filling the net. And if that means picking an extra size and grabbing a couple yoga blocks, that's okay. I'm okay with that. I don't like feeling pucks either. How do these guys in the NHL do it? Do you know Mike Smith? I mean, he's wearing like a Franken chesty that he's put together with multiple pieces from multiple companies so that it's NHL legal and, and Kay's well, going to be good with let it. Let me guess. The but the body, bud, the body was four years old and I could practically get my finger in his belly button. It was so soft. Reebok 11K? I, I don't know how they do old it. Old Reebok 11K? Uh-huh. Yeah. 
And and he said, you know, I, I gave one of these to my cousin. I, I'm going to have to trade him and get the old one back. Now. That's funny because I actually, I had an old 11K that I bought for personal use years ago and let it go to someone uh, who I think it was for a kid who just needed a, another chest protector and there was a maybe not able to afford it kind of thing there. But I'm like, same thing. I want to like go get it back. <laughs> I know there's some guys that are still looking for that model. It's, it almost goes back to the original CCM Premier, which would meet today's standards yep. in terms of NHL legal. And and man, when I started covering the league and and sort of learning about goaltenders in in the sort of mid 2000s, like that was the model. Uh, it was the first one I had was a, a used Roberto Luongo one, actually, courtesy of Ian Clark when I got started and. I wish I still had that because it'd be worth probably a fortune, not just because of the sentimental value, because there's probably NHL goalies that would still put it on. <laughs> you probably sell it to a few guys. Hey, you, you and Cam have have a lot of fun over at the hockey shop with these segments, and I'm so thankful you guys put these together. But when I'm putting the videos together each week, there's there's clearly some parts that just don't really work for the podcast just because they're so visual. So just a reminder to everybody. Um, we publish a video version of each of those gear segments over at the hockey shop, and we put them just underneath the podcast itself over at ingolmag.com. Each episode is put there, and we also have a YouTube channel where we publish them, plus over on our socials. So uh, would love it if you check out youtube.com slash ingolmedia. There's now more than 40 gear segments there, Woody, that you guys have put together uh, over at the hockey shop. And so if people you know, need a really good resource just to Look through all the different chesties or all the different pads. Just see what's right for your game. Uh, check it out over at YouTube. You can, if you take a second to hit the old subscribe button and like or even comment on some of these things, we'd, we'd really appreciate it. What do you uh, What do you and Cam have drummed up for the next few weeks over at uh, the hockey shop? Well, uh, the only drumming that goes on usually when I'm there is me beating Cam like a drum. Um but we'll probably dig into there's something exciting coming in a couple of weeks. Brian's has a new product for the first time in a couple of years, the Genetic 5. So we'll be digging into Ooh. that right around the September 1st launch. Um, we're going to do the... And this is another on those lines of products that you've probably seen advertised on social media, but haven't heard about from us because the reality is the inventory wasn't there. And that's the new True Catalyst Stick. Um, he's finally getting enough of those in there that, that we weren't, we're going to go over that line. And that's one we've heard about from a few goaltenders over the past few months, having tried it. Uh, and then we're going to get into some, we're going to get into some kids gear. We're going to get into some sizing. We're going to go review some of the new lines that we sort of overviewed and previewed at the beginning of this season. You know, you talk about the Bauer Hyperlights, talk about the CCM E-Flex 5, we get into a little more details on some of those, like hey, if I'm going to the ultra or I was in the ultrasonic and I'm switching to the hyperlight, that flat boot, does it fit differently? We're going to get Cam to answer some of those questions. So uh, we're going to rehit some of the sort of top models as goalies now go back into the store, go into the hockey shop, check it out on hockeyshop.com because it's buying time for a lot of goalies, right? Like the ones that are not going custom and ordering months in advance, the ones that are just grabbing it off the rack Guys that have been waiting to figure out what their new team looks like this year. A lot of goalies changing teams, maybe changing associations, needing new colors. So um, we're going to make sure, like you said, it's a great time to go check out the archives, whether it's on YouTube or IG or Instagram. If you go to IGTV section on our Instagram page, all of them are archived there. You can watch them there. It's a great way to sort of refresh your memory and take a look back at all the new models we've already reviewed for this year. And we're going to go over a few more features in the coming weeks as well. Hey, it's a, you talk about guys changing teams. 
it's still going to be a bit of a strange year, at least at the higher levels of, of the minor hockey game, because Canadian Hockey League camps start a little bit later than usual. Their season's a bit later. Uh, Junior A League starting a little bit later. And then there tends to be sort of a fall down because of that, right? So midget teams may or may not get guys back from junior. Uh, as a result, guys may or may not move down to you know house league versus rep versus sort of triple a league so there's a whole lot of uncertainty around hockey leagues for the next still i'd say month month and a half at least in our part of the world um so i think cam and and the guys over at the hockey shop are going to be kept busy for a while as people figure out where they're going to be playing it's uh hang in there everybody it's been it's been a tough year for everybody but it's awesome that we're back on the ice and uh, a little bit of uncertainty ahead still but we're we're going to be playing the game we love re- real soon it's just around the corner it's awesome well i'm a little worried about getting cut from my team the good news is i have the cooler and all the beer so it's going to be a li- i'm making it a little tougher on them to replace me this season in beer league you definitely have to be the beer guy if you want to be guaranteed a spot on the team that doesn't hurt when you're the team manager either. You control the money. If they want to cut me, that's fine. Somebody else can pay the bills. I'll just keep their cash. There you go. Okay, listen, Woody, we shouldn't uh, take on too much here. Keep it simple, as we also hear in the feature interview. Uh, you sat down this week with Drew McIntyre for, well, I just love this interview. Um, and once again, it's brought to us by our friends at Sensorina. And we'd just like to tell everybody out there that Sensorina's got a special offer on right now. Check it out over on our social, and and even if even if that deal, because it's a it's a limited time offer, has passed by the time you're listening to this, uh, there's always a code for our uh, in goal listeners, so you can get a little bit of a discount on your Sensorina. And now is a great time to get your hands on one because they've released a player's version as well. And I know there's a lot of families; those origin stories we hear of all these NHL goalies usually start with my big brother, my big sister, somebody was shooting on me. Um, so now you actually could have both the players and the goalies version all at the same time on one account. It's basically like getting two for one. And one of the things I liked in this feature interview that's coming up was Drew McIntyre talking about the precision of his angles and movements with one of his coaches, uh, Piero Greco. And that made me think of Sensorina because they've got this awesome box control uh, tool in it, Woody, so that you can, as the puck moves and as you move, you can see those box control ropes drawn on the sc- drawn on the screen, so you can get a feel for how you're filling the net and how precise you need to be to fill that net. And then they also give you feedback on your tracking um, as a percentage, how well you were tracking the puck after a drill. So, what an incredible tool! And Sensorina is just letting goaltenders um, be better prepared than ever when they step onto the ice. It's just an essential tool for goaltenders uh, today, I think. Well, beyond the fundamentals. Let's not forget. So all those great tools you have at Sensorina to get better, they've added another one, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. And we can have this right. debate if anybody wants to another time. Dominic Hashik, Dominic freaking Hashik, the dominator, has unveiled, he has teamed up with Sensorina and unveiled a training plan. And I haven't had a chance to go through it yet, but I am jacked for this. Um, like what a feather in their cap that they were able to get him to sort of go back to his goaltending roots and come up with some plans. And I can't wait to see it. And I show, we, I've already seen it on, on social media from some of the people that follow us, that we follow, that are on Sense Arena, that are trying the program and talking about the program and going through Dominic Kashik's plan. So you've got plans from Dom, you've got You've got Brian DeCord, you, you've, you've got our friend Billy Ranford with the LA Kings. Like there's all these different training plans. You can create your own. You can just do drills one at a time. You can find some favorite things to warm up before a game. We've, you know, we've cheat the cheat code in terms of preparing your eyes and your hands to go out and play. 
And now you can also have a training lesson, a training plan that you can follow developed by the GOAT, Dominic Hasek. That is pretty freaking cool. The socials show Dom doing the old barrel roll. I'm just trying to figure out how he does it in Sensorina. Is he going to take those hand controllers? Do you have to sort of duct tape them, tape them to your feet so that you've got something to make the save with on the barrel roll? I don't know. We will have to see. <laughs> we'll, have to, we'll have to come up with something. Hey, your feature interview this week is a great one, Woody. Um, how about you set it up for folks? Not everyone knows Drew McIntyre, right? Let's be honest, right? Yeah. Like uh, a guy who kicked around the NHL for a while, then went overseas. Um, but a guy I got to know just a little bit here in Vancouver. Remember her, him for some great gear and some great masks, uh, as well as some good conversations back in those days, which was just when I was learning about goaltending. So um, it was great to reconnect with him. He's had a heck of a career. Um, after he left the NHL, played some overseas, uh, over to Asia, some great stories about playing there the last couple of years. And you know, it was time to hang them up and perfect. I'll let him tell the story. I don't want to spoil it, but this, like you could play six degrees of separation with Drew McIntyre and have a lot of fun. And there will be no better example of that than when Drew went for his interview and landed the job with the Winnipeg Jets slash Manitoba Moose as the AHL and development coach. And so to get to hear all his experiences, some great stories, some great philosophies he's developed over the years after working with a lot of really big name goalie coaches that you'll, you'll all recognize. And then to hear how those things all intertwine and the synergies and the stories. Like just to be honest with you, it was just a really fun conversation as usual because it's me. It went a little longer than it should have. But I honestly feel like listening back to it, it didn't feel like it was as long as it is. So enjoy this because I did with the conversation. Yeah, I haven't done the stats on it, but I think you set a record this week between the time you said one last question and when you and Drew finally shut it down. But the time flew for me. It was, it was an awesome interview. If I would give everybody one little tease for listening to this, overtime, game-winning goal. Presented by Sensorina VR for goalies and players. Our feature interview, here's Kevin Woodley, joined by Winnipeg Jets goaltending development coach, Drew McIntyre. Catching up with a face I haven't seen in a long time, a voice I haven't heard in a long time, Drew McIntyre. It's been a while since I saw you here in Vancouver with the Canucks. I had to think about like when, like 07, 08, seems like yesterday. And yet here we are now long time later like 13 years <laughs> later you've yeah. just retired from an 18 year career you're the new goaltending coach for the manitoba moose development goaltending coach for the winnipeg jets first off before we sort of catch up on the career congratulations on the gig um Thank you. and a pretty unique opportunity for you because we were just chatting off air you get hired into an organization you played for the Manitoba yep. Moose. Your goalie partner at the time with the Manitoba Moose was Wade Flaherty, who's now the goalie coach for the Winnipeg Jets and would have been part of this hiring process. And your goalie coach with the Moose was Rick St. Croix, whose retirement is clearing the spot that you're now taking. Like in the world of, you know, everybody sort of knows everybody. How unique is that job interview? Yeah, it was really cool. It was a... Uh... 
it was, you know, I, I reached out last year. I, I thought about retiring. So I sent out feelers to a bunch of teams and really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And then COVID hit my team in Japan wanted me back and I still had the itch and our family kind of, it was kind of a plan. This was kind of the year that we thought we'd play until uh, just with the ages of my daughters and everything. And anyway, so we went back and played and then I kind of touched base with, with Craig Heisinger, uh, assistant GM uh, with the jets. And he said, yeah, let's, you know, he wasn't sure what was happening with Rick. I believe he had another year in his contract. And then I just, we let it go and hadn't talked, didn't talk for a while. That was right when I got home from Japan. Then a couple months later, I don't know what it was, but I picked up the phone one day and just said, I'm going to check in with Zinger. I gave him a call and he said, wow, that's crazy that you called. I, I got a, Rick just told me an hour ago that he's going to retire. So uh, then fast forward another month, it hadn't talked to him and he said, it's between me and someone else. And uh, here's your interview. And then a couple of days later, I got the job. So really, really cool. Uh, really thankful to continue what Rick's done. Rick's uh, been amazing at the job and he helped me twice. Uh, the organization came to came to me to kind of save me when I was on my way out before my career could even get going. Um, so they, you know, Craig Heisinger and Rick St. Croix, they really helped me when help, helped me establish myself to be, to make me realize I belonged in the AHL. And, uh, and then Rick St. Croix was with Toronto Maple Leafs later in my career when my career was on its ninth life. And uh, he saved me, kind of resurrected me. I was in the East Coast League again at the age of 29. So pretty cool, for sure. And and you played there. I mean, you ended up playing, uh, getting into a couple of games with the Maple Leafs, two of the six yeah. that you played in the National Hockey League. For those people unfamiliar, um, Drew just finished an 18-year career. Um, I needed fingers and toes to count all the different teams. As you said yourself off the air, a bit of a suitcase at different points. Six games in the National Hockey League, two with the Canucks, a couple with the Sabres, uh, a couple with the Toronto Maple Leafs, like some big moments in there, a career and experiences and opportunities all over the world. Um, when you look back at it now, before we talk about the transition to coaching, like like what 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 jumps out amidst all that? You played, like you said, you finished in Asia, you played in Europe. Um, I think I had, I think at one point I was like 21 teams in you know everywhere from coming up in the queue to echl time as you said a lot of time in the ahl a lot of success there nhl khl del ebel al all right you've seen you've seen it all you've seen it all (laughs) what like what so what what jumps out as you as you decide to hang them up after such a remarkable career as a pro like what are the moments that jump out the most for you is it the relationships is it moments on the ice yeah, it's just gratefulness. It's just gratefulness. It's uh, just so thankful that I was able to stick around. And, uh, you know, pretty soon into my career, it became, I became that guy that on July 1st, when it was free agency, it was, I was the number three guy. And I'm not complaining. I don't say that with any negative context. Uh, I was very thankful for that. Um, but as it went on, as it went on, every July 1st, I'd hear, well, he doesn't have NHL experience. He doesn't have NHL experience. That would really irk me. But, you know, but I also got to a point where I was really, I cherished it. You know, I, I knew that 
this was a great job and I, I didn't, uh, when you're young, you, a lot of us get bitter at certain things and, you know, I'm sure I had a moment like that, but it, it really quickly became grateful that I, I was able, you know, that my phone was ringing on July 1st. And so it was tough, uh, that job, you see it again, and a free agency just happened and you see certain guys that are on one team for a year and then go because they, it's a tough, uh, position because you see, there's always a prospect coming in, uh, that is ready for more ice time and, uh, and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, great, great organizations. I was able to play with amazing AHL organizations. A lot of them were organizations that wanted to win. So that made it a lot more fun. Um, lots of deep playoff runs and, and all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, great relationships, uh, great playoff. Uh, those playoff runs are kind of the biggest ones that, that hit me. Obviously, the few games in the NHL were awesome. Uh, a, a great experience and thankful for those two. Obviously drafted by the Detroit Red Wings, an organization that was sort of famous or infamous for its patience with players back in the day, right? Like let guys yeah. stay in the minors for a long time. Coming out of the queue, you're drafted in the fourth round by them. Was that What do you remember of that transition to pro? I mean, you start in the ECHL, and I'm wondering what lessons there are there. Because my guess is back in 2003, um, biggest jump, by the way, you've heard the guests talk about it here. Everyone says the biggest jump yeah. as a goalie is from junior to pro, no matter what the level. And my guess is in 03, you probably would have been left to your own devices a lot. Like there wasn't a lot of, now you're in a development goalie coach role. Some of these young goalies are going to be under your charge. Is there lessons you learn from, I'm guessing, being left alone in the ECHL to figure it out? And ways that you're going to be able to make sure guys don't feel the same. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, I, and, and in the AHL, there was times, but, but really, man, I was so lucky. If you, if you read the list of goalie coaches that I had in my career, it's, uh, it's insane. You know, we're talking about the best, most, most reputable, uh, in the game. My, my junior, uh, goalie coach for my whole career, my whole junior career, my whole four years was Stefan Waite. So uh, I got drafted into Sherbrooke. I meet this guy at the draft. He didn't know any English. And he shakes my hand and I'm just like, he's Stefan Waite. And, you know, I, I shook his hand. Great. <laughs> I guess right away, right when he came home from the draft, he started taking English lessons. And Anyway, we learned together. Uh, and then right after I left, he got the job with Chicago. So I'm so proud of him for what he's accomplished. Um, but yeah, I went to, I, I was with Detroit, so we would go, I went to, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, those, those years I went to training camp with them. And I'm talking like, I went to training camps with Dominic Hasek, Curtis Joseph, Chris Osgood, Manny Legacy. Like it was insane. Like to watch these guys, I had a, it was an amazing learning experience to just, even if it's just for training camp, but to be able to, to hang out with those guys. And I remember I was on a, in a training camp team with Dominic Kasich and, uh, he, he wouldn't let me in the net there a couple of times, <laughs> you know, so really cool experiences. Uh, so, but yeah, they definitely Detroit. It was, you're not coming up until you're ready. Um, I started my first year pro and I got injured. I had two, two hernias that were spread out. So I only got 11 games in. Um, so that was a tough way to start. And then, Basically, right away, once I got going, they signed Jimmy Howard and 
So I was, the writing was on the wall and thankfully Craig Heisinger, Dave Nonis, uh, traded for me, um, to go to Vancouver to play with the Moose. And so you go from Stefan Waite to, I'm guessing in Detroit, you would have had, I mean, you got all these, you got hall of famers to mentor under, but also Jimmy Bedard probably was a goalie coach yeah. there. Now you arrive yeah, and, into Vancouver. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, Jimmy. And actually Jimmy was awesome. Jimmy came down to Sherbrooke to see me. And when I was, even when I was in the East coast league, he would come down to Toledo to see me. So he was great. Uh, he was all, he was a one man show. So he's a busy man, but, uh, yeah, I wasn't forgotten about there. They, they well, did a great good job. To know. Uh, yeah, no, they, I wasn't, uh, I was a, I was a project. Uh, it's just, they, you know, teams don't wait too long. They pretty soon somebody else comes in the door and that was kind of the case. They had Jimmy Howard and Joey McDonald. So the so writing was on the wall and I was the odd man out. Well, it's good to hear that he was down there, though, because I got to be honest with you, there's still ECHL goalies I talk to nowadays that never hear from the parent club guy, you know, um, yeah. not going to name names, but to hear that <laughs> as far back as then, you know, that yeah. you had that support, that's uh, that's pretty encouraging. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was really lucky. And Jimmy, Jimmy really helped me. Uh, you know, things didn't work out with Detroit, but it was a great place to develop for sure. Now, on to uh, the Vancouver Canucks and the Manitoba Moose, where you set a couple records for save percentage and goals against average playing with the moose. So you, you talk about getting a, a fresh start, but you made the most of it. Uh, and another new voice in Ian Clark, Rick St. Croix in the minor leagues. Like you said, like, I, I almost want to go through and ask you about all the different names, but like, is uh, the, there's so many coaches you got a chance to work with. What are the ones that yeah. jump out? Where does, was Rick obviously had a big influence on you. What was that experience like coming into Manitoba and, and getting time up here in Vancouver with a guy that, you know, we know well here. Yeah. Rick was amazing. Uh, I started the year really, uh, really just so, so, um, and, and like I said, I was on my way to the East coast league and the way I was playing, I, I was going to get there pretty soon anyway. Um, and it was really Rick that made me realize that I belong, uh, kind of stuck with me. And, uh, I remember the slogan, uh, that I write on my stick and everything it's, it comes from Rick, uh, Rick and I, I'd write on the top of my stick with a cross. Uh, why not? And I put that on every single one of my sticks since I was 23 years old. And, uh, you know, I, it all came from Rick basically, cause he, he really was great at reassuring to me that I, I belonged on that level before I really proved that I belonged at that level. So so then it got going pretty good in Manitoba and it was, it was a heck of a lot of fun. And Wade was amazing uh, for me at that stage of my career. He was a wily vet and to see his approach, I was that kid who would be first star of the game one night, but then the next night get pulled. Cause I just couldn't, you know, I was just up and down and I couldn't stay uh steady Eddie. I couldn't be that reliable guy night in, night out and watching Wade and, you know, with Rick, and and even the the brief time that I got up with the Canucks, Clarky was uh, was awesome, really cool. And he, I remember he came down to Manitoba a couple of times. So, uh, but yeah, watching Rick, it really I really needed that. I needed to to realize that calming kind of guy at that level was going to get me places rather than the high energy all over the place goalie kind of thing. So why not? Um, walk me through the origins there with Rick. I love things like that. We have guys that, you know, write messages on blockers, but they have something stick for 15 years, Drew. Having yeah. someone believe in you is important, but how, 
how did he get you to believe in yourself? Because, and I'm guessing this is a lesson as a coach you'll probably still take with you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't, you'd have to ask Rick why, why, you know, he believed in me. I, he must have saw something in me. I, I don't remember game for game. It was way too long ago, but I must have shown some glimpses in that first couple months. But uh, it, it's partly biblical. Kind of, you know, we're, we're speaking, uh, you know, from the Bible. And uh, so it has references from that. And it, it really just, I remember he just started saying that to me, like, why not? And really, it's it's been something I've lived by because now at my goalie school, I, I that's kind of my slogan is "Why not you?" So uh, yeah, I think it just kind of start. I don't remember the day it started, but he 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 kind of we kind of it just became a thing where we say it to each other. Why not? If I had a big game, he'd just say, "Why not, Drew?" <laughs> so and then I I just kind of referenced because it was biblical. I put a cross on the top of my stick too. So pretty cool. And give me like, uh, I was going to ask at the end to make sure we plug the goalie schools, but you know, we're talking about Manitoba moose and everything like that, but you've always done schools, um, done coaching in the summers. Where are you at right now? We're talking to you from the far East coast of Canada. Um, (laughs) you know, where, how does that fit in and, and how do you balance also like, um, there's a faith tie in here as well, at least for some of the school work you do like, and how do you balance those two worlds? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I started it four years ago. So this is my fourth year of my goalie school, uh, state of mind goaltending by Drew McIntyre, it's called. So I have my, my sports psychologist that I had my, my entire career. Uh, my vision was kind of to bring her involved because I just learned these things too late, man. Like <laughs> I started working with her and I was already a pro and I just would, if I had to learn these things, cause like I said, I was that guy that would steal a game one night, but the next night, I'd be pulled, you know, cause I just couldn't find these tools that would help me maintain, you know, to become a pro, like just tools in my mental toolbox that would help me every day rather than once every second day or third day. So, uh, we start all the way from age six, seven, you know, whoever signs up and we just try to teach these kids some coping mechanisms for the position because it's, it's not easy. And you really see some kids struggle with it and, and even some of their coping mechanisms, uh, in their mental toolbox, help them with, with school and help them with just life. So it's been really cool. We have a daily in our summer camps, we have a daily mental training session. Uh, and that's on top of all the uh, on ice and off ice stuff. Kim, we have a little plug for the sports psychologist. So if if any young goalies out there want to get a little help, is she open for business? Yeah, Tara Costello. She ahead uh, in ahead in the game. In uh, it's located in PEI. So yeah, that's and then the other thing I'm involved in is hockey ministry. So uh, we were talking about my schedule. Uh, that's what I'm doing right after this camp uh, in two days. So doing that, there we have a big camp in PEI uh, Christian summer camp. So yeah, they go all over the world, kind of thing. So uh, yeah, that's been something I've always loved to be a part of as well. Okay, so I want to pull on that string of, you know, looking for that consistency in sports psychology. Were there, you know, when did you start working with her? When did you sort of, when did that side open up to you? And, you know, if you don't mind sharing, are there a couple of little tidbits, little examples of things that, you know, you look back on now, like, man, if I had that, that mechanism when I was this age, who knows? Like what, what are some of the ones that you take away as key to you that you learned later in your career? 
Yeah. So I remember when I was 17, it was my draft year. Uh, I'm the guy, I'm the reason why the CHL isn't allowed to wear cat eyes. I got a puck that went through my cage. I broke my orbital bone in four places. I have two metal plates. I really, I was beyond lucky. I almost lost my eye, it, you know, could have easily been gone. So, uh, my coach, Joe Canale, a kind of a Q legend, he sat me down, uh, going into that season. I was, I think there was a, back then there was no in social media or anything. So I was a big, a big report, a big scouting thing had me in the first round. I played with under 18 that summer. And, you know, so I, I was a maniac that summer. I, if there was ice, I was on it. I was, I, I was just ultra focused. I wanted to be a first round pick in the NHL. Anyway, started the season just horrible. Started just struggling. Uh, I had put so much pressure on myself. It was ridiculous. Um, ended up getting injured and, you know, getting the injury in a morning skate in Bacomo, Quebec. And uh, I remember when we got back to Sherbrooke, I found out I was going to miss a month. I was crying. Stefan was at the hospital with me. And I remember my coach came up to me and saying, Drew, this is going to be the best thing that happened to you. <laughs> And he said, you're like a racehorse, like you have blinders on. And it's been a lesson that's always stuck with me. He said, you need to think about other things for this month than hockey. I don't care about the draft, you know, all that kind of stuff. And man, was it, uh, it was it a good lesson? I, I came back and a much more relaxed goalie. By no means was I, you know, a pro at, at all that stuff. But it did happen for a reason, I believe, because it, 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 taught me a lot and uh got me got me back you know i ended up getting drafted in the fourth round but still got to do something uh for the rest of the year to kind of put a positive spin on things and so that was definitely a good lesson there the other stuff was probably just figuring out uh like a routine to be able to basically good or bad if i have if i play on you know ahl we back then we played 82 games just like nhl so, and a lot of them were Friday, Saturday, Sundays. So you're playing one night, good or bad. What are you going to do the next night? And that's what I needed to figure out. And so we, we did a lot of work on that kind of stuff. Basically finding ways to park a game, whether it was a good game or a bad game, regardless, just putting it aside and moving on to the next day. Uh, Cause I'd really let stuff fester into me, good or bad. And uh, so that, that was a lot of the, stuff that really sticks out to me and a lot of breathing kind of tools uh, for in between periods or, you know, when, when stuff's going bad and that's what I really try to pray, teach my, my goalies is coping mechanisms when, when stuff's going bad, when you let in a bad goal or, or whatever. You um, it's funny. You mentioned all the goalie coaches you played with. You also played with a lot of, or were around camps and, and a lot of great goaltenders. We've seen that. How do you get ready? That preparation routine. I think there are some guys that it's gotten so complex for some of these young guys. There's so many different parts to it that sometimes it can be overwhelming. Like they're doing so much to prepare to play. You know, we've heard the stories, guys that are exhausted by the time they get there. As you've gone through the pro ranks and watched some of those different routines, you've seen any examples of that? Like, is, is there a fine line there between looking for tools to help you cope and prepare to be consistent? And maybe even doing too much. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I as if you're going to ask me a style of coaching or or any 
you know, whatever that may be in my new, my new position, it's, it's going to be simplicity. You know, I, I really preach simplicity on the ice and I, I, I preach it off the ice because if you're going to play, if you're going to be a pro goalie and playing night in night out, showing up to work every day, how are you going to be a pro every day? You know, are you going to be a pro three out of the four days or three out of the five days? You got to be a pro every day. And uh, so how are you going to make, how are you going to be efficient enough on the ice, keeping it simple that when you play a simple form on the ice, it's easier on your body. Uh, you know, when you're all over the place, it's much harder on your body. You know, we need you to play every day and show up to work each day. And, uh, uh, and off the ice simplicity, uh, you need a simple, you know, I, I just, the stuff that you wish you had known when you were younger, I went through phases where I'd, I'd take a bus to a game an hour before the team would get there. So three hours before, and I'd have a routine and it was just, you know, now I think about it. I'm like, man, what were you thinking? (laughs) And then as I got on and obviously when I'm in my thirties and stuff and whatnot, my, my routine became very simple. That's what I needed it to be because by the time the game started, I was fresh and I was ready to go. Now, it's funny you talk about coaching and coaching philosophies and being simple. I was definitely going to ask one of the questions I was going to ask and interesting that we're talking about psychology and managing that. Like, I think from the outside, including myself, can be guilty of becoming very technique focused. And yet that's such a, I mean, it's important, but it's maybe it's not as important as guys like me sometimes think it is. It's just that's the one one thing that our eye test can look at. How much of this, how much of this game is mental? Like how much of the focus will be there? And I guess it depends on the athlete, but after all these years as a pro, how much of the battle is between the years as much between the pipes? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I, I struggle with what percentage or whatnot. I I don't know. I don't, I don't know what kind of answer to say there, but I mean, you need to find a, you need to find an edge mentally. Uh, You need to be able to do it consistently. So you know, that's, that's huge. That's huge to be able to do it consistently. Like, you know, you see goalies getting long-term contracts and all that stuff. Like you got to show up every day. And, you know, as soon as people are hard on goalies, as soon as they start, you know, wavering from that, but it's really hard. It's really hard to show, show up every day. Uh, each, each position, each situation is different and whatnot. And, uh, uh, I, my biggest example of how I would, how I would, would, you know, wanted to play goal was if you watch Roger Federer play tennis, you know, you watch that guy play tennis. You can't, you have no idea if the guy's winning or if he's losing. Uh, some people might not like that, but I loved it. He barely sweat. He would barely sweat in games uh, because he was just so calm and cool. And that was kind of the way that I, I used to watch him play tennis for hours and hours and say, that's kind of how I wanted to play goalie. It was, I wanted to make it look easy. And, you know, obviously there's nobody better at that than Carey Price. And I'm sure if you see him, sometimes he's, he's got the least amount of sweat than some guys. That doesn't mean he's not working hard, but that means he's, you know, his mental game has just been so good. Well, and the other part that is the efficiency too. It's funny. I was cutting video on some of our days with Carey from the summer and working with kids and, he was talking to one of the kids about, hey, tiring, eh? Like, and it was just all about beating plays and getting set. And he talked about how hard the work was to make it look as easy as he does. Like, it yeah. was, I'm, I'm paraphrasing and not nailing it. I'll have to pull that clip and put it on video to run with this episode because it was, 
you know, you're right. There's a lot of work that goes on there, but when you do the work to find the efficiency, you can make it look easy sometimes, or at least easier than the rest of us mortals do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, uh, I try not to complicate the position too much. Obviously there's a, you know, it's, it's a hard position. <laughs> there's a lot of goalies out there and I try not to complicate the position, but yet at the same time, you put the work in, <laughs> you put the work in. And that was, uh, I think that's why I lasted so long. Uh, I was able to adapt and because I was a student of the game and I, I, I realized what I needed to improve on. And really that's how I adapted was simplifying my game on and off the ice. And the guy that really helped me do that was Piero Greco. Uh, I had him in uh, Toronto and he just simplified the game for me. It was just like, get square to the puck, uh, you know, use your depth in a very smart, smart manner. Um, cause I, I would be pretty, pretty aggressive. And he showed me that if you're square to the puck, you don't have to be the super ultra aggressive guy. Obviously I'm not a guy, I'm not six foot four. I was just, you know, I was six foot right on. So I couldn't do, I couldn't do that deep style or anything, but I, I, if I'm square and really good positionally, which I think I became pretty good at in my kind of post 30, post thirties career. Um, you know, and he really, really helped me do that. How, how did he drive that home? Right. Because we hear, we hear that a lot. And it's funny, I think during the pandemic, a lot of goalie coaches sort of went back to school. Like they had extra time. Uh, they attended clinics, they talked to old students. Now, Bill Ranford's a guy that I think of that, you know, he talked about like talking to, you know, going back and talking to Jonathan Bernier about how they, they really dug in on the position. And most yeah. of them came back and, and the, the sort of takeaway seems to be like almost back to those basics of like, man, like set and square is what it's all about. And how do we yeah. get there sooner? So I'm curious when you say Piero really, you know, got you to believe in that, how did he do it? Like how, how did he go about sort of getting that buy-in? Because in, in some ways it seems like such a basic thing and yet he had to get the, he had to get you sort of back on that track. It sounds like a little bit. If you came out and watched your goalie sessions, we would, you know, we put the work in Garrett Sparks was my partner one year, Chris Gibson. Uh, we put the work in and, and, but it was really simple. Like I'm talking like his, his, his famous drill is like the, the two pylons on the side, like at the face off dots and then the other side and then up the middle. And I do this all the time. And it's basically just, they're coming right down the middle. The shooters are coming right down the middle and then, at, and then they basically adjust they they pick a side like they go to either side of one of the pylons and they shoot in stride and like how often does that happen you know you need to be good at facing entries when they're coming with speed you get you need to be able to make adjustments like really quickly <laughs> and so everything and the only way you can do that is if you have good feet so i had the we really worked a lot on that so it's obviously getting set getting from point a to point b hopefully on your feet if possible and, uh, you know, so it was really just like, he'd see something in me and he's like, no, you were off. And I was just like, seriously, like I felt totally square, but no, you're, you were off. And then he showed me on video and whatnot, but it was really just methodical about the way that just our preparation. And as far as drilling that into me that like, I guess the other thing was just, I would move too much and he would just simplify like, buddy, you don't need to move there. 
like when the shock, when the guys are coming in on an angle and they make an adjustment, like you barely have to move. <laughs> and it, I was the guy that would just basically move too much. So it really, he just took time. I only had him for a year, but it was a great year with him. That's for sure. Okay, well, we skipped ahead uh, a little bit there out of Vancouver, but I did want to ask you, before you signed in Nashville the year, coming out of the Canucks organization in Manitoba, um, you had uh, you got your name on the score sheet. Now, I'm curious. There aren't a lot of, there aren't a lot of goalies with, with overtime game-winning goals on their resume. Yeah. So years from now, when the kids are older, maybe when they're old enough to have grandkids of their own, did Drew McIntyre sauce at the length of the ice for the game winner, or will you tell the? Or are we going with the with the real story? No, I tell the real story. I I, That's I have too bad. to. I, I, it's it, yeah. I know. Maybe in a few years, I'll I'll fabricate it. But yeah, it was quite a story. Holy moly! It was. Uh, I remember Kevin Bieksa was down on conditioning because he had an injury, so he was down from Vancouver, and. Back then, the Wolves were, we were playing in Chicago against the Chicago Wolves, and they were just, that's not an easy game to win. They were a powerhouse, and yep. uh, we were in overtime against them, and I was having a real good game, and Kevin took a penalty. So, delayed penalty, Andre Pavlik goes to the bench, and I, you know, so they had full control on our end with with Pavlik onto the bench, and I was just like, "Holy cow! I got to do this for two minutes in overtime after this if we if we do kill it." Anyway, one of the guys, it they put it to the net. I go blocker down on my post. It hits the knob of my stick and goes back to one of their guys in the corner. He passes it to the D. D wasn't there in the empty net, so they didn't even give me the goal at first. It was later when we got in the room that they said, "No, it did hit you." And they they found out that it it was my goal. So <laughs> crazy. I, hey, but I'm telling you, just give it a little time. Give it a little time, yeah. and that'll be uh, overtime. You know, full sauce over everyone's head. That's how I would tell it. That's for sure. Yeah. Of course. Maybe I when I have grand. Maybe when I have grandkids, that there will be, you go. That'll be the story. There you go. So he spent a year with the National Predators organization, and then Atlanta. Uh, and some time with the Chicago Wolves and that uh, powerhouse yeah. organization. Uh, any memories from those years? Any voices? Any change? And I guess maybe an, as an overriding theme, like how are you seeing the game evolve here? Like we're into, you know, we're getting into 2011, 12, 13, and we're seeing reverse VH become new to the National Hockey League. You probably would have been doing traditional VH, you know, dating back yeah. to Clarkie in 06. Uh, you know, you're watching all these evolutions. You're living all these evolutions of the game and the position. Uh, what do you remember about sort of that era as it started to to change again, especially post play? Yeah, I remember right. It was either like my first or second year of pro, and I hadn't played much my first year. Second year, I sat behind Joey McDonald. We had a we. I think we won the regular season in Grand Rapids, but I I sat on the bench the whole year. It was the lockout year. And I remember at that time I, I called Steph Allen and I said, all right, I got to come to Sherbrooke and we got to go over like my, you know, all these new techniques like VH and I, I just wasn't good at it. So I put in a lot of time doing that. I don't remember when our VH came, but uh, it was right all around that, that time. But uh, after I left, after I left uh, Milwaukee or sorry, Manitoba, I actually spoke an hour ago on the phone with Mitch Korn. He's still a good friend of mine. And, uh, uh, I had Mike Valley. He was his first year coaching uh, 
in the AHL. And then he, he only lasted one year and went right to Dallas. So it was pretty cool. But right around that time, it became, I was, I was knocking on the door really, really, really well. <laughs> so I really thought Nashville and then uh, Atlanta, I thought those were my, my chances. And, uh, but they were great years. We had a lot of success and it was a lot of fun. And then I got traded to Montreal at the deadline and played in Hamilton and we went on a heck of a run and it was, it was a lot of fun there. I was going to say 930 save percentage in the playoffs. That is a heck of a run. And you've got a few like that. And those of you talked about that being the memorable run, some really great runs in the American Hockey League. As much as you enjoy them, does it become tougher though? Because you, like you said, every July 1st, you're looking for opportunities and trying to pick the opportunities based on depth charts. And yeah. you're coming off a short off season too. How'd you manage? Like, I don't think a lot of people would have even thought to think like, man, like a short off season makes it tougher again, whether it's moving family or, you know, like it's not an easy situation. We sort of look at it like chess pieces and fantasy GMs, but these are real people with real families and real lives. And you're playing into, you know, late into the summer and then having to make a big decision like that on July 1st. It's not easy. Yeah. And I mean, it all happened. Those, those were exciting days, but they were also Stress. Darn stressful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, you're getting these calls and it's a great thing you're getting calls, but uh it's a it's a big decision to make in but matter of minutes or or hours. But uh yeah, it was tough. Like, you know, some obviously you wanted to do what was best for your family. Uh, but at the same and at the same time you were just knocking on the door and we're talking to teams and they're trying to convince me that this is the right situation that I should go to. Uh, but I can never get that kind of I could never, I was never able to get that just job given to me. Uh, it was always come, come and earn it, but, but basically you're not going to start there. You know? So anyway, after a while there, soon after that, I realized that's just the way it was going to be. And I was okay with that. But at the same time, I, I was putting up a lot of good numbers and I really came to, came to the, I guess I just accepted it. And wore it as a badge of honor after a while you know when i when i did go to the khl got uh got released went down to the east coast league because i just couldn't get anything and when i came back up i i just you know it was like holy cow that was it was almost all over and uh i was i was totally okay with earning whatever i could get and uh Anyway, I like I said, we we had a lot of success with most of those teams that I was on, so it was it was a lot of fun. Well, you said the KHL, and that was the lockout year that you ended up over there in, in 2013, yeah. and that was that related. Yeah, I, that that's your first taste, though. But you went over, I'm guessing, because it was a lockout year. Did that plant the seeds for the trip later on when you decided to go back? You know, I I think I had a little. Uh, so I went to after I got traded to Hamilton. We went on the great run, almost did it. I ended Buff- up signing a year. Yeah, I Buffalo, signed with yeah. Buffalo for a year, and it was it was the worst year of my career. It was it just from day one, just nothing. It was just a crappy year, and uh, you know that's part. And I learned a lot from that for my coaching career because there was part of that that was outside of me, but there was also part of it that I I let stuff affect me, and I needed to be stronger there. Um, so that I learned a lot from that experience, but at the end of the year, um, I was turning down KHL offers for a few years, uh, putting up good numbers and they were always 
calling uh and it was very appealing <laughs> you know so finally after that crappy year i just said all right let's try it maybe maybe that's how i can get to the nhl if i go over the khl and and do really well um anyway i went over that year uh it was the locko year i played on a team in prague it was a they were an expansion team ended up we had Chara on our team yuri hudler uh Voracek. it was like the czech national team it was like it was an amazing team. And uh, anyway, the league was just amazing that year. But I broke my ankle uh, doing a ladder, a quick feet ladder in the parking lot. There was like a little rut in a, on the pavement. And I went to do a sprint and you could just hear my, my ankle. And anyway, broke it. And <laughs> I was done. And I was, I was basically, uh, my family was there with me in Prague. It was oh. a really cool experience. Yeah, it was, be- it was amazing. But uh, hockey wise, wasn't that great, but so they ended up, once I got healthy, they, uh, released me. So, uh, anyway, so, but it was lock of year. So it was basically impossible to get a job anywhere. So I was home for like a month and a half. And then finally an East coast league team, uh, let me come and I was there for a month and a half and then lockout was over and I still couldn't get a job. And then finally, uh, Reimer ended up getting injured one night and I'm sitting in a, a hotel in Reading, Pennsylvania with my wife and my, my two daughters, they're really young. And I'm just sitting there like, man, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> I'm sitting here with my family in a hotel and, uh, you know, for months. And anyway, I texted Rick St. Croix that night. I said, Hey, if you guys need a goalie, I'm, I'm, I can be there. And the next morning I was, I was loading up my family and our, in our truck and we were off to Toronto. So it was, it was a really cool, really cool memory. Well, and, and, and had a heck of a rut. Like I mean, you said, when you're in the ECHL waiting for that opportunity, I mean, you posted a nine thirty one down there, you go up to the Marlies and post a nine thirty one with them. And the next yeah. year you get, get another, you get a couple of games with the Maple Leafs. Was there ever any frustration you didn't get? Like, did you ever get frustrated by the lack of opportunity? Like you go into Buffalo, I know you only got a couple appearances, but you like, you know, you ran a 944 when you did get in there. Like, did mm. you, was there any point where you're like, man, like I'm, I'm doing okay up here, you know, 922, the two games with the Maple Leafs, like, let me yeah. get some track, let me I, get some I, traction here. Yeah. I just, I knew I like, I just knew I belonged. Like, I, I mean, every year I'd, uh, I'd play against guys and have success against guys and they would go up and have tons of success in the NHL. And I'm just like, yeah, I, I knew I could do it. There was no doubt in my mind I could do it at all and you know so yeah it was frustrating i'm not going to say i i i i'm saying that i was okay with it i was at peace with it but at the same time i knew i belonged and i guess the toughest part was probably that second year in toronto uh i went up at the end of the year bernier got injured and it was when the team you know we they lost i when i was up there we lost every single game and i'm talking like i don't know it was at least 12 games and they they finished the season losing every game comfortably in a playoff spot. And I just, they wouldn't put me in. They just, they just, they thought it was too big for me. Like the, the lights were too big. And I was, I mean, I was 30 years old. Like I was sitting there like, this is, this is what I've been waiting for, you know? So that was frustrating. Um, they ended up giving me a game one, the night we got eliminated. Uh, I forget where it was, but we flew into Florida and they gave me that game. So that was my first start. Um, I got drafted. Oh, I don't know how many years before that's 13, 14, something like that. Um, 
in that same building. And then I got my first start there at the age of 30. So that was, that was pretty cool, but yeah, it was, it was frustrating for sure, but it, it was just after what it just kept going and going and going the, the snowball effect of them saying, well, he doesn't have NHL experience. And I was sitting there like, yeah, but I need, just give it to me and I'll, I'll do fine. But anyway, that's, that's the way it was. And I'm not complaining at all when I say that. No, and I, I'm not trying to paint that picture either, right? Yeah. Just like I, yeah. I got to imagine every time I look at the NHL numbers, I'm like, this is really good. Why weren't there more opportunities there? Like, yeah, uh, it's, but, it is what happens. I mean, I understand. Yeah, yeah, and I understand. And now that I'm in that role, like there was always a Manitoba, there was Corey Schneider, Milwaukee, Mark Deckenage. Uh, you know, there was always a guy coming in that they were they were ready. You know, they they learned from me for a year and then. And then they were, you know, if they learned anything from me, I don't know, but they, we played together. I was there to be the the veteran guy and help the team win. And those guys were ready. You know, Corey Schneider played amazing. Mark Deckenage, amazing. And uh, there was lots of those kind of situations. So a couple more years that you signed with Carolina, spent some time in Charlotte, some time in Rockford um, before you go back to the KHL and, and, and kind of all played all over Europe. What was the mindset there to keep going? Was it just passion for the game? Did you look at it? Like, did you take your family? You said, you know, young daughters in 2013 and reading. I don't know how old they would have been when you go overseas, but did it become an adventure, a family adventure at all? Like, was there an element of seeing the world here while also playing professional hockey in some of its top leagues? Yeah. So I, again, I, I, these, these European offers come around and, uh, I, at that time I decided, I, was able to play in the Spengler Club with Team Canada for three years in a row. Two of those years was while I was in Charlotte. Ron Francis was amazing. He he fully supported it. Let me go. Hockey Canada treated us just beyond amazing. Uh, Two so gold my, medals. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was an amazing experience. And my family, like my my daughters, were pretty young, but they got to experience Davos, Switzerland, for three straight Christmases. So absolutely spoiled rotten but uh it was it was an amazing experience but it it got the european bug in me for sure uh going over there and you talked all most of the guys on your team are all playing over there and they're painting a pretty good picture and so i ended up signing a contract with the hamburg freezers um one of the top teams to go to in germany uh sold out 12,000 people a night unbelievable place uh i was I couldn't believe like I was just so excited. I signed a two-year deal. So they were giving me that. We were just craving some stability with our daughters and everything. So we were craving stability. They gave me the two-year deal and basically said, you play well, we'll add to that. So I was just like, this is, you know, I was so pumped. I had a couple of really good friends that went over. Jason Jaffrey, a really good friend of mine. He went the year before and just was loving it. So we decided to do that, but it was a, I, I know I know where this I know where this story ends. So when you talk about yeah. stability, I'm just cringing on this yeah. end. But you you tell yeah. our listeners. Yeah. So yeah, careful. <laughs> it was uh, I can't even. It was pretty frustrating. They uh, they how long? It was basically it was ended the summer. Um, I was signed. Well, I was in Rockford at the time when I signed. So like the season was still happening, and end of the summer and. I woke up one day and I, I checked the team website just like I typically would do on a 
semi-daily basis or something just to see if we sign anybody or whatnot. And I see this funny thing on the website. And anyway, I, I Google translate it and it says something about how the team is folding. And I call my agent and then the GM calls. The GM's crying to me, basically. And uh, yeah, the team folded. Uh, it was so my contract was ripped up. It didn't mean anything. And uh, yeah, I, I had my daughter signed up in the international school and everything. Anyway, it was crazy. So I uh, had a tough time getting a job after that. Uh, a good friend of mine, Gordy Dwyer, was coaching in the Croatian team uh, in the KHL. And I ended up going there in October. So it was pretty late, but it was a really cool experience for sure. Okay. And then, and, and that's the thing people don't realize, like you usually have to make that commitment early in Europe and those spots fill. Yeah. You, like you said, you made that yeah. commitment while the season was still on the year before, but by the time it folds, everybody else has got most, most. Yeah. There was only a couple jobs left and yeah, it was, it was really tough. And I thought I'd have no problem, but it became tough. And anyway, and then, and then they're telling you to just wait wait until the season starts and uh anyway yeah so i had to wait till october and i had to do that a couple times uh just life over there for an import goalie is really hard um everybody paints a picture like yeah just go to europe it's really easy well i went over there and did really well uh my first year in the khl uh and germany did really well and i was like i'm gonna have a pick of the litter you know (laughs) i'm gonna get another contract like i had in hamburg and I'm sitting there in October again the following year uh, without being able to get a job because uh, they love to sign, you know, you only have a certain amount of import spots in all these leagues. So the teams really don't like to use them on import goalies. So, yeah. So uh, that sent me over to Japan. Okay. So I one before we get to Japan, a, a quick pause because you did spend some years over there. I mean, you ended up back in the DEL with Adler Mannheim, uh, Zagreb in the EB, EBEL. And then DL again with Straubing, Slovakia. Um, you're going to have prospects that are coming now to you from from the Jets draft picks from Europe. What were your observations about the style of game over there? And were there elements when I mean, we hear a lot of talk about East-West and East-West and East-West and pass, 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 have an open look, pass it again, dust it off, like a lot of passing, <laughs> right? A lot of passing is yeah, what I'm yeah. trying to say. Did you see things over there that like style of play that you think translate? Um, do you have an idea what the adjustment might be like for a kid coming over for the first time? Like how will your experiences over there help you transition other kids that are coming over here or see skills that you think will help them over here? Yeah. Uh, well, game, hockey's fun over there. Uh, in the in most of the places, you can barely hear yourself think. They're singing and dancing, and you know uh, it's really cool, really cool experience. So, so you're going to be, uh, it's going to be different for them coming over the atmosphere, of games, and all that stuff. Um, Germany was the same, I'd say. Like, well, I'm talking Germany league is. There's a lot of North Americans. It's it's borderline just like playing the AHL, but the ice is bigger in, in some places. Some of the some of the arenas aren't aren't much bigger. Uh, I really enjoyed playing on the big ice. Everybody kind of made a big deal of that, but I, I felt you could keep it really simple. Uh, you didn't have to move quite as much just because of the angles. Uh, so I, I felt like I didn't I felt I felt more comfortable, I think, on the uh, on the big ice, which I, I was really shocked with. 
because I, I it took me a long, long time to, to get there. Uh, KHL was, yeah, dust-offs, passes. Definitely couldn't be too aggressive, that's for sure. Uh, you had to be on the same page with your D-men um, as far as, listen, sometimes like on the power play, if that, that guy's there, you need to take that backdoor option because you know that was my style. I like to take a step on that guy and kind of dare him to shoot. So you had to be, you really have to be on the same page with your D-men in, in my regard, in my point of view. But yeah, I mean, it's not, it's, I wouldn't say it's crazy different, but the KHL is an extremely talented league. So some guys can pull off moves that you just, uh, you, you wouldn't think that they'd be able to do. Okay. So after there, you end up, uh, like you said, in Japan, playing in the Asian league. I got to know how that opportunity came about. What was that like for the family? And you spent something, you mean, I'm doing math. I'm not that smart, but it sounds like three full years over there. I mean, the pandemic was weird and everything this past year, but what was that opportunity like? What was that experience like? What was the hockey like? Honestly, it was like, it was the coolest thing. <laughs> so if you ever watched the movie, uh, Mr. Baseball, remember yeah. Tom Selleck? A big, big That's... Selleck fan and a big baseball fan. So there we oh, go. Oh man. Just if you, if you're curious on what my life was like, watch that movie, not to the extent that you know, baseball is everything over there. Hockey is minuscule compared to baseball. So no, there wasn't that many people at our games. I was not a rock star like he was, <laughs> but really just amazing. They're, they're just a, a beautiful people. Uh, they respect you no matter what I'm playing in Slovakia. This is, uh, our team in Straubing in Germany was dead last. We were having a horrible year at the deadline. The Olympics were about to start. So after the Olympic break, there was two games left. So basically all the bad teams just unloaded their good players to teams before the deadline, right before the Olympics. So a team came calling in Slovakia, you know, it was good money. It was only, there was only a few games left and then the playoffs. And I said, all right, sure, let's, let's go. And I, I went, we're playing in the quarterfinals. We're supposed to win. We're losing the series two to one. Our GM comes into the room and says, if you lose this series, he says it in Slovak. So I, I have no idea what's going on. I, I was pissed that we lost. You know, I, I was angry. I, I didn't really care what he was saying. The next day I practiced, I said, what, what did he say there? The guy said, oh, if we lose this series, we won't get paid for the rest of the season. We still had like three paychecks left. And I, I laughed. I started laughing. I'm like, oh, funny. And he said, no, seriously, like we won't get paid. And I'm like, what? I started laughing. I'm like, holy cow, what is going on? Anyway, I say that because in Japan, I could have let in every shot I let in. For I, I could have let in every shot and they that would never be an issue because they just are such respectful people. Uh, you don't have to worry about anything. Uh, you know, you, it's, it's, Europe is great, but there's some organizations that you go to that will do anything to find a way to not to pay you or, you know, whatever. It's just a dog eat dog world in some of those teams and uh, I was really lucky for the most part, but anyway, I, I guess I'm saying that because that's part of the reason I, I heard this about Japan. It was just, they treat you like gold. Uh, that was appealing. The season was shorter. So I was going to be the, it just was going to be much easier for our family. Um, my family was set up at that point because I was those two years of heart not getting jobs. We were just set up in PEI in my home. Girls were in school. So it was it was a much family friendly, even though it was super far to travel. 
it was a much family friendly uh, setup, we thought. And yeah, and it was, you know, they, they paid well. And it, it was just a really, it was just super appealing at that stage of our career. I didn't know if I was going to go play one year and retire. But I got there and we, you know, we just loved it. Uh, my family came over for long stretches and they, my daughter's experience was, uh, you know, I think something that they, I think one of their favorites for sure of our whole career. I got to ask, PEI, you brought it up and I wanted to ask this before we were done. I know you used to take so much pride in being from PEI. I remember the Mr. Potato. I'm a mask geek. Okay. I'm a gear geek. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Potato Head on the mask. We yeah. kind of made the joke. I apologize. That was me on the Ingle social media account the day your hiring was announced with Winnipeg that said we need to somehow see the Care Bears and the Mr. Potato Head worked into the yeah, coaching yeah. kit, stitched okay. in there. I, so, I, I missed that. I missed that. That's, that, that's, that's probably okay. for the, probably I, I got, for the best. I got, I got used to the Care Bear chirps and the potato now, head jerks but see mr potato head i knew the roots of and that was the pride in pei famous for potatoes right pei potatoes yeah. that always made sense but i gotta be honest now refresh my memory and refresh our audience's memory on where the care bears appeared and were they a regular fixture like mr potato head or were they yeah i put it i put it on my back plate for the rest of my career so i started uh when i was in manitoba i put a I put a care bear because my wife and i uh her name is karen and that was a little funny name. So yeah, I put a Care Bear on the back of my helmet. And uh, I don't know, I guess, I guess I think it's funny now because we were, I don't even know if we're, maybe we were just engaged at the time. Anyway, caught some flack for that one. But then the next year or, or two years, we had a baby. Uh, so we had kids pretty young. I was 25 when we had our first child. And uh, I, so the Care Bear was holding a Care Bear. So that then it became non-chirpable, I guess. People weren't able to chirp me now that it was one, uh, you know, my child as well. So, yeah, so having then after kids, a that's, while, a, that's going to a pretty big length just to get rid of the chirps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So after a while, once they became old enough, it it was it was a lot of fun because we'd have the Care Bear, and then I'd say, "Okay, girls, uh, what what do you want to be on Daddy's helmet this year?" And they'd be a pony they uh teenage mutant ninja turtles one year they would decide what they wanted to be each year so they go on my back plate of my helmet uh it, we had a lot of fun with it it was cool do you have them all you must have kept them all yeah I, if i was home right now and my in my background would be all like 18 helmet so i got them all i got an office just like yours and it's all my buddy made me a a couple of racks so all the helmets are on display so yeah that was the one thing i would never give away i give away equipment but i my helmets were were uh, non-tradable i was just gonna say the hardest part with some of those because there are some beauties i remember back in the day like again like there's some great masks in there and some great tributes to pei and your roots but also the teams my the hard decision would be like with back plates like that that mean so much. Which how do you display them? Did like which which side are you displaying? Right? I'd want to see the the I'd want to see the evolution of the girls yeah. choosing from you know the Care Bears up right through Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's so neat. I love it. Yeah, that's a good idea. I've never thought of that. They're just kind of facing forward, facing. But yeah, I. I might have to evolve that a little, maybe. I I think you owe us some pictures. I'm going to need some a photo sequence of that, and we'll have to write a story about that as well. I love it. Well, uh, last one, because I'm famous for last ones. Were you a gear guy throughout this? We focused on your career and coaching and voices and influences, but 
I never really talked to you about how you got started, how you love the, what made you fall in love with the position and did gear ever play a role? Like as you were going through all these leagues and at times I'm guessing, you know, probably getting one set a year, other times getting as, you know, like in the NHL and in those organizations, multiple sets, like where'd you come out on the gear side of things? How will it be important for your students to understand how their equipment works? Like, do you see that as a core part of being a goalie? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was huge for me. Uh, my father was a goalie. Uh, his, some of his, uh, some of his family members were goalies. They come from a huge family. So, uh, a lot of them were goalies and it was just like, it was no doubt. It was just, I wanted it from as soon as I could skate. I wanted to be a goalie, just like my, my old man. Uh, he made me play one year as a player, which was a great decision. He said, you got to go learn how to skate. And then I was right in. And I remember Christmas, uh, I got a, a pair of white DNR pads and I just, that was, that was it. I was done. I was, I, I was a goalie forever and lots of hand-me-downs from older goalies in, in our area. But, uh, so it wasn't always one kind of equipment, but yeah, I loved it, uh, but I definitely want to be a goalie because of my, my old man. Love it. And the equipment, I remember a set of Sherwoods. It was, was it the target sort of like graphic, like the circles graphic brown (laughs) pads? See, I remember, I remember that from sort of Canucks Manitoba days. how did your equipment evolve over the, like if, if I were to hand you a set of pads from 2021, way back in the day where those Sherwoods were the coolest thing going, yeah. You'd probably be like, oh my God, seriously? Like, how's this a pad? Yeah. The weight and the, have you, how much attention do you pay for? You think gear can affect performance? You pay attention to these evolutions? What were you in by the end? Yeah, I have a, I have a, I think it affects your kind of, I mean, you can't let things, when we're talking about routines and everything, being a slave to your routine. But I also find it crazy when some guys are, when things are going real well and then they change the equipment brand or whatever, I'm just like, that's, you know, cause when things are going well, I was, I was keeping it the same for the most part. Uh, yeah. So I used the Bauer X twos and the, the vapors the last few years. And yeah, that was, can you imagine what, you know, compared to when I was in Manitoba, but, uh, so huge difference. Uh, I was a big fan of those, but, uh, yeah, those Brown ones, they, they look great with my Manitoba gear, but when I got called up to Vancouver, oh man, I, uh, they did not match whatsoever. <laughs> I guess it shows that I didn't really expect to get called up to Vancouver. Well, Hey, listen, we, we just appreciated that there, just know that where there were those of us watching in Vancouver that just appreciated the sick gear style. It didn't matter whether it matched. So that's, that's always a yeah. positive. Yeah, that was a that that was Andy Moog. That was an Andy Moog tribute because he was my favorite goalie. So I, uh, he he wore those brown pads for a while. So in did Dallas, you, did you ever have him as a coach? I was trying to. I'm just doing the math no. in my head. It was he would have been just left here before Ian came in. Before no, he, never had yeah, him. Okay. Uh, I I remember I was playing in I Iowa. Uh, they were with the Stars then, and I one of one of my trainers with Manitoba got me a stick signed by Andy. And, Anyway, I never met him, but he was he was my favorite from day one, basically. Love it. Well, you're gonna meet him because now he's in the coaching fraternity. There's gonna be a point where you're I don't know if your job will have a scouting role because different organizations yeah. do different things with development, but down in Portland. Yeah. So I'm sure those paths will cross. How many paths haven't crossed? Have you done the six degrees of Drew McIntyre? Like with all these experiences and all these guys? Like, could I pick a guy and re- you know, we we're talking about all these names and like 
just even that yeah. job interview there's a lot right yeah it's crazy it's crazy i uh i'm super thankful um that will be a cool part of being staying in the game um we'll just be seeing all these old teammates and old coaches and everything in the you know whether it be at the draft because uh you know like part of my role is scouting so at the draft or you know wherever whatever event it will be it'll be so cool to see see people i haven't seen in a while well that includes seeing me now that we've got an ahl team back here in abbotsford so drew i really look forward to doing it in person it's great to catch up our audience is going to love this interview and i really appreciate you taking all the time to share share your time with us Thanks for having me. It's a, it's an honor. Thanks so much. Wow, that was that was fantastic. Really, I know it's fantastic because I'm listening and I'm thinking I've got to meet this guy. There's so much depth to his thinking and his experience. He's going to be a fantastic coach, Woody. Yeah, you just kind of know it, eh? And I got to be honest with you, like, boy, did we bury the lead, eh? Like. How long did, like, good job. Like, this is where, Darren, we missed you, buddy. We forgot to introduce him. And then we made you listen to the whole interview before you realized that Drew McIntyre is the reason CHL goalies can't wear cat eyes. Like, if I had teased that an hour and a half ago to our audience, if I had had those brains, everybody would have listened just for that story. So I'll have to put it in the introduction notes. Uh, some, like I said, it's not just the philosophies he's developed over time, the experiences, the people he's worked with and met. Uh, it's stories as well. And Drew's got some great ones. And I, I agree with you, Hutch. I think he's going to be a great coach um, because the passion, right? It always comes back to that, right? The passion for the position comes through crystal clear. And so it was really good to catch up with Drew. And I got to say, we are hoping to catch up with the other part of this equation in that meeting. And that's Rick St. Croix, who is retiring from the job that what used to be Drew's coach retiring from the job and now Drew stepping into the role really want to catch up with Rick who's had an amazing career when he announced his retirement I'd heard about it a little bit before and was waiting for it to become official before we tried to get him on as a guest uh, but you saw when it was announced just how many goalies reached out to, to him or responded to the tweet um, that the Jets had sent out thanking him for his work uh, talking about the impact he had on their on 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 their careers um, goalies with many different styles, shapes, and and ways to stop in the puck, uh, and all had a lot of praise for Rick, a guy we've had a chance to meet and uh, just can't wait to introduce him a little more to our audience. So um, look for that in the coming weeks. And also another McIntyre we've got on. We've got a whole bunch of stuff on cue. We forgot to talk <laughs> about it. You're up in Kelowna. You had a chance back to, to sit Mac. down with Zane McIntyre as well. Yeah, and I didn't even call him Drew while I was up there. <laughs> It was uh, no, it was a fantastic uh, conversation with Zane McIntyre, and uh, if if I'll just give one tease to that one, if you don't know the story, he wasn't always Zane McIntyre, and he didn't change his last name just so he could be on the podcast and match up nicely with Drew. Um, the only tease, but also another guy with real depth to his thinking, who is a fantastic individual, and felt really privileged to um, to talk to him. and And I'm looking forward to your Rick St. Croix interview as well because. I remember when we got to spend that was it was three four days or something with him, and you feel like you've known him for your whole life. He's like one of the real gentlemen in the game, and and gonna miss having him around. But looking forward to that interview. One more, one more, What's because that? we're we're on a roll here. It may be the oh, off season, but yeah. we never stop working. Sebastian Cosa and his goaltending coach with the Edmonton Oil Kings, Curtis Muka, will be also yep. be a guest in the coming weeks. Sebastian of 
course, the first goalie picked in uh, this last NHL draft to the Detroit Red Wings has already signed a three-year entry-level deal. He's just coming off his World Junior Camp with Hockey Canada's program, so lots to catch up with there. Um, we've got loaded shows coming up, folks, and then by the time we get through that, we're going to be right into the NHL season. So it may feel like the dog days of summer for some, but as summer winds down, uh, we are ramping up for another NHL season, and as everyone is ramping up for another hockey season at all levels. You know, Woody? I think we did okay this week, eh? Why, why not us? Why not us? Have you figured uh, out the reference on that yet? No, I haven't, actually. I'm no, just following haven't? along. You go back to your feature interview and check it out, and you'll, you'll figure it out. Oh, later. yes, of course. Yeah, no, I'm not feeling that bright. Not feeling that bright at all. That's a Rick St. Claude, <laughs> Drew McIntyre thing. There you go. Exactly. There you go. There yeah, you yeah. go. Hey, listen, listen. <laughs> I'm a little discombobulated. Life without Darren is a little confusing. Okay, I'm easily confused. That is true. But I, you know, you have done a fantastic job in the conductor's chair. You are driving this bus. It is not the Maple Leafs Brian Burke 18 wheeler uh, off a cliff. On the wheel today. It's not off the cliff like Brian Burke's Maple Leafs. It was <laughs> it was well driven, but I I do miss Darren. So hoping to have him well, back soon and uh hoping he's enjoying some very much deserved time off after the Olympics and after an incredible run of podcast hosting duties here at Ingle Radio. Yeah, definitely. It is a whole lot more stressful uh, running the show without Darren there. I don't think people even have a clue uh, how much he keeps us under control and how well he stick handles every episode with such professionalism. So uh, I do hope he's back soon. But until then, uh, just quick thanks to uh, our friends at The Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com, and our friends at Sense Arena. I'm David Hutchison. He's Kevin Woodley. Have a fantastic week on and off the ice. And uh, you can look forward to welcoming back our starter, Darren Millard, next week on In Goal Radio, the podcast.